22nd December 2022, as the country braced itself in the midst of exorbitant winter energy prices and the poorest in our country operating prepayment energy meters contemplated Christmas without receiving the much-delayed £400 payment under the UK government's energy support scheme, the then Scottish Cabinet Secretary for Net Zero Energy and Transport, Michael Matheson, MSP, stated in the Chamber at Holyrood, the Scottish Government is fully aware of the challenges that consumers with prepayment meters are having in accessing the Energy Bill support scheme vouchers. That is why we are continuing to call on the UK Government to ensure that the correct measures are in place to guarantee that everyone in Scotland is receiving the support that they are entitled to. I would urge anybody who is struggling to access their support scheme vouchers to contact Advice Direct Scotland, which will be able to help in the first instance. Within days of reaching out to those desperately waiting on this handout, Mr Matheson took his family on holiday to Morocco, where he ran up an £11,000 mobile phone bill, which, until it became public knowledge 11 months later, he had arranged to be paid for by you, me, and those experiencing fuel poverty that he had just spoken about in Holyrood. Welcome to Ernie Lee and Mike Dilley. On a day when the Tory party welcomes back into the Cabinet, the King of Austerity himself, David Cameron. I wonder if Michael Matheson and his, and his SNP government colleagues might reflect on their own conduct over the last 13 years of UK Conservative government and whether it has meant a missed opportunity for the independence cause in Scotland. Well, you may wonder, John. Um, I think in the last, uh, oh goodness, day or two, we've had a buffet of buffoonery uh, we've had Michael Matheson. I've been uh, a few of those. <laughs> well, I mean, Michael Matheson. I might have, I might have hosted a few as well. For, I tell you, for for um, you know, as you, as you said in, in your introduction, John, for the last what eleven months or so, he's known this. He's known that he took his iPad away to Morocco uh, for the family holiday uh, over Christmas, um, and we can we can drill into that, and I think we should drill into just how incredible it is the way that the Matheson scandal, because there's no other word for it, John, uh, expenses scandal has unfolded. And we can perhaps spend some time thinking about those that resigned in the past for uh, a tiny, you know, absolute kind of um, uh, almost nothing compared to the uh, scale of Mr Matheson's expenses uh, scandal. But... <clears throat> Before maybe we get into that, that 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 bit of the buffet, perhaps we can we can um, just reflect upon how bizarre has today been. Um, Suella Braverman uh, ultimately sacked. The PM didn't want to sack her. In fact, we know that obviously she had previously been sacked, um, and she had been woeful, awful, um, beyond the pale for so yeah. long. And yep. really kind of challenging the authority of Rishi Sunak constantly and getting away with it all of the time. I mean, I can't think of almost anybody uh, at Westminster that was as um, objectionable as, as a human being as Cheryl Braverman in terms of her opinions. Although, hang on a minute. <laughs> the comeback kid uh, is back. David Cameron... Um, is going to become the UK's foreign secretary. Now, just think about that, John. He, he's the guy, right? He's the guy that got us into this mess in the first first place. 
you know, him and George Osborne, the Laurel and Hardy of British politics, they were the ones that gave into the right wing of the Conservative Party and opened Pandora's sure. box. And that's how okay. we've ended up with the absolute monster of Brexit. And he then scurries away <laughs> after uh, after Brexit, never to be sort of seen again, apart from trying to lobby the government for some of his mates, which we can talk about. But just think about this, John. So um, Rishi Sunak's making David Cameron a lord so that he can sit as the foreign secretary. Now, that means, think about how surreal this is, that means that uh, MPs won't be able to question the foreign secretary. And I say to you this, John, right? What's your thoughts on this? Other than the prime minister, you know, the first lords of the treasury, um, there's three big offices of state. There's the chancellor of the exchequer, there's the foreign secretary, and there's the home secretary. The idea, uh, and we're not in a we're not in a kind of you know a, a wartime cabinet situation where things are extraordinary, but the idea that the foreign secretary, one of the most important offices of state, is to be held by someone who's not been elected, and John, think about this, Rishi Sunak himself has got a very slim, if arguably no mandate, uh, because he never stood. Uh, for election in front of the uh, electorate of the UK, and you know, as as I want to be your PM, so he's lacking in that democratic democrat democratic uh, deficit. But by goodness, what about David Cameron, John? Well, it's it's desperate, Mike, isn't it? It's absolutely desperate. It's they never fail to to kind of surprise you in the the depths that the the Conservative government sink to. Uh, I would slightly uh, kind of vary from what you've said there, Mike, in the sense that we may not have uh, openly declared war, uh, this government hasn't, but are we not, in essence, engaged in two proxy wars in Ukraine and now in the Middle East? Mm. Uh, I think it was £60 million of arms sales to Israel last year. And these are two major international conflicts. Could hardly be, uh, you know, bigger without direct US or UK involvement, because Russia's involved in Israel, who's the US proxy in the Middle East is involved. I mean, it, it's tense, it's 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 genocidal, it's it's everything it shouldn't be. And we appoint a foreign, or the, UK, the Tories appoint a foreign secretary that's effectively unaccountable to the legislature. It's, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's so kind of unbelievable that you need to kind of brace yourself and think, is this, is this? Then you think, well, wait a minute, it's the Tories after all, you know, we should get used to it. Uh, and to bring him back, so the principle of having a foreign secretary in the Lords, you know, who can't uh, uh, be accountable to those uh, who the public elect yeah. at these tense international diplomatic moments that, are, that, we're, that we're living in, that apart, they bring back, as I said in my introduction, the king of austerity, yeah. you know, the chief wizard of Brexit, you know, the guy who put every single Tory interest before that of the country in calling the referendum. Uh, just for me, might actually encapsulates the contempt that uh, the Conservatives have for the people that they govern. That's how I would describe it. John, it's almost like we're in the kind of the last days of Rome, the dying embers, yeah. the, the fag end of the Conservative Party's existence. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah. and, it, and I think it will be an existential crisis because I do think, I mean, 
the polls over a long period of time have given us, you know, call them the runes. We can see what's in the runes, John, and that is an absolute wipeout of this rotten Conservative government that we've had in yeah. the UK. I mean, really has been um, beyond beyond uh, rotten. And it's interesting, you know, sort of, I mean, goodness, I talk about silver linings, you know, um, in a storm. Um, Therese Coffey's gone. I mean, that's that's a, a blessing from the heavens. <laughs> I I uh, I remember her when she was Secretary of State for Social Security. Uh, sorry, Works and Pensions. We're not allowed to say Social Security anymore. Um, and uh, and she was awful, awful. Um, and um, she, she's the one with the, the kind of stained T-shirt in the cigar, isn't she? That's just. That's the famous photo of her. Well, that, that indeed it is. And um, but remember, she recently gave evidence in the House of Commons to do with the fact that we weren't prepared, you know, for the storm. Um, that I think she said because it came in from the east and not the west, it was the direction of the rain. We're very good at dealing with it from the west, but not from the east. And everyone sat there looking at her and thought, "Are you are you are you serious?" <laughs> you know, it's like. <laughs> Uh, and that, dear, dear. But, but that that's where we've got to with the, the, the state of the Conservatives at Westminster, John. And it's interesting because I alluded earlier to um to Mr. Cameron's um you know not being seen for goodness me, I don't know, six, seven years um uh, in terms of active politics, raised his head looking for a handout. Um I mean it's been quite interesting that the Tories are the party yeah. of the handouts. You know, yeah. not to poor people, not to people yeah. in receipt of benefits, not yeah. to people in poverty, but actually just to their pals and yeah. buy the buy the bucket loads of millions. Let's yeah. not forget that. So, so Cameron uh, was looking for money for the Greens Hill Capital company that, right. he, that he was given advice to, uh, and uh, uh, ultimately, I mean, one, one of his ele electioneering kind of platforms in twenty ten, Mike was. To cut out the lobbying kind of circus in Westminster, and and uh, lo and behold, you know, after the disaster of Brexit, and he demits office within two years, he's lobbying. Yeah. I mean, remember the stuff he was actually texting Sunak directly about trying to get COVID contracts for these, uh, you know, capital, you know, people who I, th I think the company's gone under since. That's right. That, that's just. That, that, I, I would argue that Mike, that he is an, 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 an admittedly a crowded field. He is the uh, worst Tory Prime Minister in my lifetime. I, I would, I would, I would argue that. And uh, you know, that is a crowded field, isn't it? When you consider Truss, and you consider Johnson, and you consider when we were, or certainly when I was younger, Thatcher. But at least with Thatcher, there was an agenda. There was a, there was a. You know, you, you might have hated what she was doing, especially to manufacturing communities in this country, up and down the country. But you, you kind of knew she actually believed it. You didn't agree with it. You 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 act. You know, you disliked her intensely for it, but you knew she believed it. Cameron Cameron mm. didn't come into that category at all. This was an Etonian, uh, upper class, uh, arrogant, uh, you know, uh, kind of privileged uh, silver spoon type Tory who cared little for anything other than him and his pals in the city. And, uh, you know, and, and, and thus, it was, thus it was established, you know, through austerity. And the, the, there was the, his legacy, Mike, what, what is his legacy to be? Is it to be Brexit, which is 
you know, we've spoken about before, yep. you know, a, a trading disaster for the UK, let's yep. face it. Or is it to be austerity? And, and, and it was interesting, Mike, this, is, this has gone under the radar, this report. It was published a year ago by uh, Glasgow University and the Glasgow Centre for Population Health. And uh, it showed that almost 340,000 more deaths than were expected across Britain between 2012 and 2019, as compared to 1981 to 2011, uh, and as a result of austerity. Uh, the author's report said the study shows that in the UK, a great many more deaths are likely to have been caused by UK government economic policy between 2012 and 2019 than by the COVID-19 pandemic itself. That, for me, is Cameron's legacy. And now he's back. No, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree, John. He's... He's been the worst, the worst prime minister, certainly in terms of the Conservatives, in in, in my recollection. And it's interesting um, you talk about, say, Margaret Thatcher. Um, she believed in political ideologies and ideologies that had a lot of policy thinking behind it. So, for example, I always remember um, a, a colleague of mine who used to live in Govan, Professor um, um, John Foster. Um, oh, yeah. It's also from Belfast, uh, a great uh, campaigner in Govan. <clears throat> and he had done some really interesting work on the whole kind of origins of right to buy in terms of council housing uh, across the UK. And I think, and this is just off the top of my head because you mentioned it, I think it was Sir Keith Joseph that did a lot of the policy work for Thatcher. And she, as I understand from, I remember conversations with Professor John Foster, this had been this was been worked on in 1974, 1975. And it was, whatever you may say about it, it was an incredibly uh uh life-changing policy yes. um and 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 shifting of the sands <clears throat> in terms of politics, because what it did was it effectively meant that the whole idea of being uh, you know. Uh, more kind of community-minded and, and believing in solidarity of your fellow person <clears throat> was kind of, for many people, um, made much more difficult because you then started to think about your own property, your own asset and, and your own mortgage. <clears throat> and that, I think that ultimately helped the Tories remain in power for those long 18 years. Yeah. And so, but when you talk about, say, Cameron, I mean, certainly when you talk about Johnson or when you, I mean, any of these Tory twits, um, the reality, John, is there is no great big ideology. Brexit was effectively some really rich people uh, in the Conservative Party or in the wings that didn't like the EU. And why didn't they like the EU? Well, I'll tell you why they didn't like the EU, because I spent some years you know, on an EU institution, the European Banking Authority, and it did a lot of good things. And it did a lot of good things for ordinary punters, for consumers. It introduced rules, you know, introduced all sorts of, you know, regulations, whether it's thinking about working time, thinking about data protection. All of these things, John, were introduced at the European level. And your your people who were like uber rich, they didn't like them, right? They didn't like them. And they always wanted to get rid of the EU, not because of any nonsense about, oh, democracy should lie in the House of Commons, da, da 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 It was about money, in my respectful view. And I think we're in a complete mess at the moment, if I'm honest. Mm -hmm. And I say that in terms of the UK at Westminster, but also in terms of Holyrood. I mean, all the reports now talking about Scottish government going to run out of money, 
And we know, because we've talked about it on this show, John, the amount of millions, you know, tens, hundreds of millions that has been blown on all sorts of, um, you know, half-baked um, uh, ideas. And it's, the chickens are coming home to roost, John. They're coming yeah. home to roost in Edinburgh and they're coming home to roost in London. Yeah, it, it, I agree, Mike. It, it brings us back to, to the kind of uh, question I asked at the beginning. I mean, it, is, it, is it now or is it only now that uh, the Scottish National Party and, and those who have supported it over the years are realising? I mean, to bring Cameron back, you've gone, the madness has gone full circle or the badness has gone full circle. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, you go back to 2010, you go back to the, the 2014, the aftermath of the re referendum and the opportunities and the polls and the momentum that was there for independence. And look where we are nine years on. We've got uh, Scottish cabinet ministers, you know, just behaving in uh, ways that are just, just you know, just as disgusting, to be honest with you, as so many of these characters that we've, we've been speaking about already in this podcast, Mike. I mean, for, for Matheson to, you know, he we're, we're recording this on Monday, 13th November, late on Friday, which would be the 10th of November, he eventually said he would repay this £11,000 yeah. uh, mobile phone bill, presumably from his own his own pocket, uh, presumably. But uh, this has only come to light, Mike. Uh, sorry, he has only confirmed he'll be paying because this has come to light, and, it, and it's come to light 11 months uh, after the bill was incurred and during which period he was perfectly happy to pass this on to the taxpayer. And it's 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 resonated, you know, uh, uh, quite strongly with the Scottish public because we've all been abroad, Mike. You know, yeah, we've all been abroad and had to deal with the roaming charges and the changes to your phone and such like. And uh, no one, no one could rack up a bill of eleven thousand pound, and you know, it's unimaginable that you would do that on a personal capacity. And he has done this because that deep down he's thinking, I'm not paying for this. This isn't, you know, it's not on my tab, therefore it doesn't matter. And that, for me, Mike, is, uh, you know, eloquent of the arrogance that is now encapsulating the Scottish government. We've seen it with the COVID inquiry. You know, we're seeing it virtually every issue that arises. There was a story breaking in BBC Scotland this morning about uh, the They've basically for the last 12 years been telling porkies about the amount of uh, uh, energy uh, offshore wind capacity that is that is uh, generated in Scotland. The, the, the Scottish government and the SNP have been saying 25% since, since basically 2010. And it turns out in actual fact, and they've known this for some time, it's actually only just under 7%. So, you know, could they, they they must in retrospect realize that they've adopted uh the wrong attitude to governance in Scotland uh and it's now as you say it's now coming home to roost you know think about this Sean in terms of the Michael Matheson uh, expenses scandal um there's been a number of party leaders who've had to resign over much smaller expenses in the past whether to do with using taxes, whether to do with, um, you know, relatively small donations uh, that weren't properly declared or whether to do uh, with expenses in terms of rent. Um, but all these things 
uh, are very uh, modest compared to the level that we have with Mr. Matheson's um, almost £11,000 tab. And and what I find very interesting about all of this is, and let me just run these things at you, John. I mean, you're criminal defenseless advocate, so you're you're better at these these kind of uh, forensic analysis than I am, I guess. But here's the thing, right? So we're told last week, um, this is not a, a story. The First Minister says, no, this is a legitimate expense for Michael Matheson. Uh, nothing to see here. Move along. But then we discover the Scottish Parliament's policy is you had a maximum of £200 for roaming charges, right? That's their policy. And we then discover that uh, everybody, in terms of MSPs um, and no doubt other uh, members of staff, were told that they must change their old SIM cards and get the new one, which was a much better deal. Now, sure. I think that's a red herring about um, in terms of the whole sort of issue, which is what what Mr. Matheson sort of sought to do was to blame this thing on a plastic, uh, metal, little tiny piece of uh, yeah. of a SIM card, right? Here's the thing from my point of view. I'll tell you what. The SIM card isn't downloading gigabytes of data, John, right, um, on its on its own. It's not going, oh, I'm going mm -hmm. to download all this data. It, there's mm -hmm. a human being that's pressing buttons on the iPad, right? Of course, that's of course. the person who's responsible. And, and ultimately, it was almost like Mr. Matheson was then trying to blame the mobile um, provider. Um, mm -hmm. Well, it is what it is. I mean, the contract is what the contract is. Um but as I say, we then discover um, that he should have changed that SIM card and he failed to do so. So ultimately, the responsibility was his. And this is what gets me, and again, John, bear this in context, the £200 cap on data roaming. What then happens is one would have thought in terms of that policy uh, that Mr. Matheson uh, is going to have to pay everything above £200, you know, as the policy. But mm -hmm. but then a parliamentary official, and this is what we're told last week, uh, was happy to accept uh, that this was all something that the parliament could pay uh, and Mr Matheson could use £3,000 of our money as taxpayers from his expenses mm -hmm. loans to pay this as well. Because which, and which I, I, never, I never quite understood that breakdown. Well, what, but let, know, me, let me analyse it for you, right? Because a, a, an assurance was given to the official that it was all um, work to do with parliamentary or constituency business. Now, I break that down as clearly that was an assurance that was given. Um, and uh, was that simply a verbal assurance? Was it an email that was sent saying, well, it was all parliamentary or constituency business? Um, and yeah. you have to say to yourself, given how extraordinary this is, why didn't the parliamentary authority say, well, look, yeah. this is parliamentary property. Um, we we would like you to provide us with the uh, with the device so that we can, uh, you know, that we can just check uh, to see that everything is in order. Why why didn't that happen, John? Yeah, I think the, the parliamentary body itself, Mike, has got some questions to answer as well, uh, because it seems such a lax system. Uh, that doesn't really stand up to scrutiny. And as you say, it's his word that he was, uh, you know, using the iPad for uh, parliamentary business. Is that just accepted without any verification? Yeah. And, you know, what is parliamentary? How can you rack up a bill like that on parliamentary business over Christmas? It's just, 
it just doesn't ring true. And the only the only kind of, uh, I mean, I remember my a few years ago, uh, I used to do a lot with the American Bar Association. I was asked to speak at this white collar crime. Uh, it was actually just before Brexit. So before Brexit, when you went abroad, you the there was no problem. The Roman charges all kind of, when you went to Europe, that is yes. Uh, you didn't really need to do much to your phone, and there was no real additional cost. But but going to China, you know, it was a different kettle of fish. And I remember IT giving me a two-page Air Force sheet on how to deal with mobile phone and internet in China, and you know how to adjust the phone, what to do. Uh, and uh, basically, if I didn't uh, do what you know their instructions were, and they had you know they had backed it up with with concrete information and data. Then I was on the hook for any, you know, exorbitant charges, and it was made clear to me that was the position. Uh, here, this guy comes back from holiday, Michael Matheson, with eleven thousand pound, and says, "Oh, it was all, it was all parliamentary business anyway, so that's fine." And I can't think of any other company, Mike, uh, that would operate again like that with such lax rules. And it kind of goes back to, you know, many kind of uh, issues that, that 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 lead to this path in, in, in our podcast, which is they just. Why do they think they can get away with this? Why do they think they, they are more elite than anyone else? Well, and uh, it's come back to bite, uh, Michael Matheson. I think, John, there's there's a huge element of entitlement and arrogance. And it's interesting you're talking about your trip to China because a few years ago I, I had done a goodwill mission um, in West Central Africa and met lots of uh, activists in terms of lawyers, human rights commissioners, judges, um, civic groups <clears throat> all over Cameroon, travelled you know, three quarters of the country and um, trying to help set up a, a law centre. And, I remember that. <clears throat> yeah, and the thing was, <laughs> I should have realised, but, you know, I wasn't doing anything in terms of data. I just take taken my phone with me and I was getting the old email and stuff. And, you know, even that ratcheted up a, a few hundred quid. Uh -huh. But it was my fault, do you know what I mean? Because I, what I should have done is sort of, as you, as you exactly say, and I had to pay it myself and, and fair, and you know, fair dues. <clears throat> so I think it's, it's extraordinary what's happened here. And I think, I do what, think this I? is a... Sorry, I, I was so, just going to say I think I think this is this is very serious. I mean, this is something that may well yeah. be something that is a resignation matter because yeah. it's not just about saying, um, "Oh, I've now decided to pay." It's like you you for eleven months were quite happy for the Scottish taxpayer to pay it, claimed it was legitimate, um, and it turns out it was your responsibility. You failed to uh, change the sim. You failed to respect the two hundred pound cap policy, and ultimately, um, we then discover that the parliamentary process itself is based upon some will o' the wisp uh, assurance. Um, you know, like you know, I, I mean, what's that all about? See, I mean, you're right, Mike. I mean, you think what McCletchy, the former Tory leader in Scotland, resigned over, which was tax affairs, and I think he claimed he shouldn't have. Or, and we've spoken before about McLeish and Wendy Alexander and such like. I mean, it's astonishing. It's astonishing to place this into that context and think this guy it's, thinks it's okay yeah. uh, not to resign. But but more significantly, it's uh, indicative of his attitude that he thinks we should pay for this. Yeah. And I wonder what your view was on that, Mike, that, that this guy thinks he can run along for 11 months or, you know, 
uh, with this bill being paid for by us and think there's nothing wrong with that. Well, I, I can't, I can't, I can't get my head around that. I can't, I, I can't I, understand why anyone would think that was okay. Anyone responsible in any position of authority or, you know, with any kind of meaningful uh, responsibility in their job would think that's okay to do that. That's John, I, I mean, to me, it, this this uh, incident is a, an exemplar of the whole point of our podcast about the ordinary elite, because. Mr. Matheson earns as a cabinet secretary uh, £118,511. And so this sense of entitlement, um, and I just find it unbelievable that somebody could be downloading loads of data on their Christmas holiday uh, in Morocco, in North Africa. Uh, They're away for a week. They've got their family. Um, I mean, who works... Um, every single day over Christmas yeah. on their holiday. I mean, anyway, but I, which which makes me think any other business would be saying, well, given this is a breach of our policy, da 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 da. Given you failed to change the sim, uh, we need to get our hands on our device because they the, the Parliament owns it, and if the Parliament owns it. That sure. means that the public own it ultimately. So, I just find the way that this whole thing has unfolded makes you think it's actually undermining the whole fitness for purpose of the Scottish Parliament, John. You know, because mm. because if you can just have such disregard uh, for public money in the way that this has yeah. unfolded, what else is going on that we don't know exactly. about? You know? Exactly, exactly. It's a kind of it make it does make it makes you think, well this is this is just this is maybe uh not the first time it's happened, but perhaps the scale of the bill, you know, it was the media that picked it up. You know, it wasn't this wasn't volunteered and no, when presumably the the bill arrived. You know, because there was questions uh, and inquiries made of the uh, the network provider, but none of that became public at that time. It was only when expenses were published and this jumped out that this became an issue. So you know, kind of surreptitious, greedy. You know, as you say. Elitist, none, none of it is endearing, you know, none of it, Mike. No, and it's also also like that kind of thing, John, where you put your finger in the air and wait to see where the wind is blowing, you know, yeah. because clearly the position was fairly firm uh, on the morning of the Friday and the day before last Thursday. Yeah. You know, the health secretary was what you're talking about. It's almost as if, how dare you? You know, I've given you an answer. It's this is this is not an issue, yeah. um, and yet within a matter of, as as the momentum started to um, develop, you know, as people started to say, "Hang on a second here," uh, and as things kind of just came out, John, in terms of the policy of the Parliament, the fact that you know the SIM card should have been changed, and all of these things, and the fact that there was only just an assurance that was given to an official. Um, the more all these things kind of came out, I think there was a kind of an overall view from the ordinary member of the public, which is that you, you I mean, this is just can't, this is can't be acceptable. You know, this is just surely, this is just surely um, uh, not on. And I think, Mike, it would be remiss uh, today. You know, I'm conscious we're, we're getting to the end of this podcast. To not mention that Suella Braverman uh, was sacked from the UK government, and she is. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm of the view that this uh, current Conservative government is 
you know, an extreme right wing government. And I think she uh, yeah. is uh, the epitome of that, almost the personification of it. Her rhetoric and her language uh, really have in the last 12 months. I mean, she was originally sacked, if you remember. Yeah. And then about three days later, when Sunak became prime minister, uh, she was brought back in. And really since then, it's just been one outrageously uh, dangerous comment uh, after another, most of which have been uh, against the most vulnerable immigrant type uh, uh, people. Uh, I mean, remember her, her comments about uh, she, she, her obsession to see she would love to see the plane taking off to Rwanda. Remember that? And I know that that yeah. case is actually yeah. up, for, up for judgment this week, I think, Mike. That's right. Uh, and, uh, you know, tofu eating wokarate, she was going on about, and how multi multiculturalism uh, has failed in the UK. Uh, and then there was the comments last week about the rows of tents, homeless people as a lifestyle choice. I mean, just disgusting, disgusting yeah. remarks. Uh, that should belie any politician really in the 21st century UK kind of democratic uh, world and uh, it's for me it's uh, goodbye and good riddance and hopefully uh, we don't see her in any way shape or form in frontline politics again although I hate my doots. Well I tell you I mean I, I think um, the the thing that's astonishing about uh, Sela Braverman as you say is she did say that her dream ambition is to watch the first flight take off from wherever it is, Gatwick, Heathrow, whatever, um, to go to Rwanda with people being deported from the UK, and that was her dream. Well, we're going to get the UK Supreme Court's judgment handed down this Wednesday morning, and it's interesting that the that Number 10's already briefing. They're not, you know, they kind of think they're not going to win it. Uh, now, they, obviously, they won't know for sure. I mean, I, I've... You've been involved in UK Supreme Court cases, John, as I have. And you do get a, an advance notice, um, but you're not allowed to disclose it to anybody. So yeah. um, I suspect that it may well be that um, those instructed um, uh, will have sight of it uh, very shortly. Because you have to check if there's anything in the judgment that you think in terms of um, there's anything that's inaccurate, you know, um, and so there will be people who will know the outcome, mm -hmm. uh, but they're not allowed to say. And, you know, I I have an inclination that the UK government's going to lose this. And mm -hmm. I really hope that that's true, John. And I think what a fitting, if that is the case, right, what a fitting um, send-off to Suella Braverman. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Because, uh, you know, and the things that she said, I mean, you alluded to uh, being homeless and sleeping in a tent is a life style choice yeah. that just to, that to me shows you've got no mm -hmm. human um compassion whatsoever and and let's not forget that it was prime minister you know liz lettuce trust um <laughs> remember she didn't she didn't last longer than a lettuce remember the daily was it the daily star <laughs> was had, had a lettuce uh under a video <laughs> camera and it was available to watch and they said we think this lettuce will outlive liz trust and you know what nobody believed that with it's going to be the case, but turned out it was true. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just think, um, I just think, you know, it's incredible. Liz, Liz Trust was a PM for about a month, cost us about 40 billion. 
and forgive me for laughing, but it's just <laughs> unbelievable. Isn't it? And, and, and she, be, and, let me be prime minister. <laughs> you know, oh, right the economy, I, and then I'll, I'll see no, you I, later. I, I don't think it's you just, are. I don't think you or I could make such a mess as that. But I mean, I have to say. Uh, one of the other things that uh, Liz trusted was that she appointed Braverman as home secretary. And of course, this uh, is, I mean, I, this is why I said, I think it's the last days of Rome for the Conservatives. You know, the, these people, whenever you start doing dog whistles, whenever you start basically trying to uh, souk up to the far right, to the fascists, you know, to the thugs, to the racists, to the people that are just, you know, just the awful, 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 awful people. Um, and that's what she did. You know, that's what she did writing in the, the papers um, and, you know, sending out her tweets, um, uh, even having a go at the police. Now, think about this, John. The, 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 of course, the police need to be held to account. But the moment the Home Secretary undermines all of the police uh, in, in, in London, you say to yourself, this, this is, you know, this is surely game over. And it, and it was game over for Suella Braverman. And I think I think the thing is, um, you know, her replacement can't do worse. I'm sure he will do better. Um, but I, I just think the sooner, and maybe to end on this, John, is it's mm. like we need a general election really quickly. And I think it's interesting that our First Minister, Hamza Youssef, has been demanding um, a general election. So slight irony. Mm. <laughs> is it, is it, if one looks at the polls, that's him saying goodbye to most of his colleagues at Westminster. So cheers, you know, cheers for that, Governor. Um, and... is, he, is he not still looking for his, his WhatsApp messages? I've lost, <laughs> I've lost track of that, Mike. I, I, think I don't found... know whose phone it is. I mean, I was on top of that until he started. He's, he's come out with about four different versions of where these WhatsApps are. I've got no clue what he's actually saying now. It's incredible. I mean, yeah. it's a serious, you know, you yeah. think this really matters, but my God. Well, John, you know, it's like, oh, no, I found an old phone and I deleted WhatsApp. Well, no, no, I didn't. Well, wait a minute, I did. And, oh, well, God, maybe mate. maybe we could have a double dunter. Maybe we could have a general election uh, at Westminster and then uh, an election for the Scottish Parliament at Holyrood. Because I, th I do think... You know, I, I genuinely think it's time for a serious change. And I think, you know, I think people are entitled uh, to say, who do you actually support to run the country, whether in Scotland or whether in the UK? And, you know, I think we're going to be getting a general election soon. We won't get a Holyrood election for some time, but we might get one sooner than you think. Uh, given the mm. way that things seem to be panning out. But um, yeah. I'm conscious, John, that we've got a, uh, two podcasts this week, haven't we? We've got another one coming up this week. We have. Wednesday. We've got uh, Stephen Shiel, who's Head of Government Affairs and Policy at the Net Zero Technology Centre in Aberdeen. Big on renewables, net zero, reducing fuel poverty. It's big cheese up there, so Stephen's joining us this week, uh, which I'm looking forward to. And uh, yeah, so that was good. Mike. I'm off for my dinner. I'm, it's it's tofu tonight. <laughs> <laughs> tofu in celebration of of Suella's demise. Did you know, <laughs> by the way, she was, she was, uh, it's actually not tofu, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> anyway, uh, she was, she was at the New York Bar, did you know that? She was, uh, well, uh, she practiced at the New York, well, she was admitted to the New York Bar, yeah. she's a barrister, yeah. and uh, under the name Sue Ellen Fernandez. Wow. That was her, that was her name. Her, her, she was, her name's actually Sue Ellen, 
and her mother was a huge Dallas fan. No, no. Honestly, honestly. <laughs> and, and and she was named after uh, JR's wife, Swellen. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she, but she, for, for, I don't think she practiced much in New York. No. Anyway, she gets struck off the New York bars, you get, I mean, which is, I mean, easier to do, I suppose, than get in. But uh, apparently she didn't complete the necessary, whatever they are, kind of, yeah. uh, the necessary paperwork that we all have to update every so often. And she gets struck off, but she was practiced there under. I was I was on the role of the New York Bar as Sue Ellen Fernandez. So well, there you go. Well, I'm just thinking, John. Maybe there's a role for her in uh, "I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out Here" because we've got uh, we've got Nigel Farage apparently um, oh, getting oh, 1.5 oh. million for appearing. I mean, I it oh, looks wow. as if people might just boycott that show, but um, you know, but it's with Pantos, it's Panto season, mate. Isn't it? it's I mean, Panto I, if you actually think about it, that guy, that guy almost single-handedly caused Cameron to call that Brexit referendum, Yeah, yeah. if you think yeah. about it. I mean, yeah. Cameron and William Hague and all these guys at the time were quite openly saying, you know, our seats in the southeast are under threat to UKIP, and largely because of, you know, what Farage and, and, and these cohorts were saying. Cameron comes back into government today, and this <laughs> this clown, <laughs> I'm a celebrity, I mean, what's going on? What's going on? <laughs> It's going on. Well, on that note, John, I shall I shall speak uh, to you get me on out Wednesday. Here. On that note, get me out of here. <laughs> All the I'm best. Off.